So public worship can be, public worship here in New York City can be a rather frothy experience. I mean, true to our ideals, we welcome everyone. Everyone is welcome to come, which means that people come as they are, regardless of any material condition or mental state. And as you know, the city is a wondrous cauldron of every, every kind of material condition and mental state. Some years ago now, I had a focused first-hand experience of this reality during a service just like this one. At one point, I had stepped down for a baptism. And after it was over, I was returning to my place up here. And uh, a young man got up from out of his seat, sitting about where Bob is sitting, and uh, came right up and followed me all the way up here. Looking into his face, I could tell that this was going to be a challenging encounter. He had a determined and somewhat crazed look in his eyes. And he leaned into me and said directly, May I address the congregation? I have a word from the Lord. So this was a kind of dramatic moment for me. And I didn't really have time to think, although I've known from experience that if a person is not bent on violence, a firm, direct response was best. So without thinking, really, I leaned into him and said quite forcefully, no, there will be no word from the Lord today. Please take your seat. (laughs) This confused and flustered him, but with the directness of my response, he turned around quietly, went back to his seat and sat down. Now, the truth be told, I lied, of course, because in just a few minutes forward, we heard scripture and recited the versicle we say every service, right? The word of the Lord, thanks be to God. You just said that twice. It goes by quickly. Those who've been around for a while say it by rote, and I suspect without too much thought. But as for that, it nevertheless places a sort of exclamation point on the value of the words we use and hear in worship. I wonder, though, if most pew-sitters really expect the Lord to actually speak on any given Sunday, let alone Monday through Friday or Saturday. Now, we have a somewhat sophisticated understanding about this, There's a long Protestant tradition that what I'm doing up here is one variation on sharing the word. The minister is supposed to have done his or her homework well enough, prayed long enough, and practiced hard enough so that some glimmer of insights, prayed, you know, some leakage of the spirit might spark a holy inspiration. I know those of you who have been around churches for a lot of years have had experience with preaching that was dry as dust, as I have. 
But you know, the interesting thing about this is that sometimes, not always, mind you, but sometimes, even during a pitiful sermon, something might be heard or experienced that prompts a glimmering insight, something unexpected, something that, except for God's graceful speaking, despite faulty human vessels, nothing would have been seen, heard, or received. And you know, that's both a humbling and hopeful truth for all who would get up here to preach. Now that doesn't let any of us off the hook for doing our own homework, saying our own prayers, and practicing a disciple's life. We all know those disciplines are useful in most life arenas. But you also know that were you to hear the word of the Lord on a day like today, that would be a different order of magnitude altogether than the word from, say, Steve. Of course, the word could surprise in the voice of an anonymous person overheard from the pew behind you, too. That person could be speaking a word from the Lord. Or perhaps mediated through music. That anthem we just heard is a wonderful poetic description of how spirit is mediated through music. We might be startled by the word of the Lord in silence. I have been. Or some visual clue, say in the mosaics, as your mind wandered off during a boring moment in the sermon. Oh, look at that. When you come on Sunday morning, do you want to hear God's voice? I mean, do you have that in mind? Are you after that? My guess is that the honest answer would be an equivocal, well, maybe. Yes, if it conforms to the limits of our expectation, if we hear what we want to hear, expect to hear, and so on, if it conforms to what we already believe, but no, if it announces a truth that's significantly larger or tougher than we want to hear or bear, especially if it's contrary to what we currently believe. Well, as Jesus began his ministry, he stepped into the pulpit of his hometown synagogue. That's what you heard Katie read just a minute ago. He was just starting his ministry He went back to his hometown, the text says, where he was brought up. So he's gone home, if you will. And he goes to the synagogue, and he reads a word from the Lord. In this case, it was a word from Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, he read. He has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. So let the oppressed go free. And then he gave the shortest sermon on record. He said, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing, and he took his seat. Well, now that would have been an in-your-face sort of word, right? He had their attention. And you'll note that this wasn't some esoteric sort of word, some abstraction. 
when God speaks, it has a way of being more real, more immediate than anything else we're currently experiencing. Jesus' word was evidently electrifying. We didn't finish the story today. You're going to hear the rest of it next week. I say unfortunately because the whole story together is a pax a wallop. But we didn't finish the story today. But rather quickly, what you'll hear next week is that the crowd becomes so agitated by what Jesus has just said that they wanted to literally throw him off a cliff. That's what the text says. That's how angry they got. In fact, the text says they were enraged with what Jesus was saying to them. And I'd say, well, evidently they didn't like that particular word from the Lord. So by comparison, you might imagine my saying something so disruptive that you all would rise up and throw me out into Busy Park Avenue. Now, it's hard to picture that, I guess. It's more likely someone would uh, give my bishop a call and ask for a change, you know. Will Williman, a friend of Christ Church, a retired bishop, tells this story. In the Nazi attempted decimation of World War II, when they took over Prague, they rounded up the Jews. In one of the synagogues, before they torched it, they found an old rabbi sitting in his study, working on his sermon for the next Sabbath. To utterly humiliate the old man, they forced him to strip naked, and they had him stand up in his pulpit naked, clad only in his rabbi's hat. Say something in Hebrew for us, they taunted. Yes, preach to us. Preach what you were going to say next service. Preach. And the old rabbi stood there, and then he began to speak in Hebrew, which none of the Nazi tormentors could understand. He spoke the words that had time and again constituted Israel. In the beginning, God created the world. And God said, let there be light, and there was light, and it was good. And Willimon says, that power shifted from the cruel men to the old rabbi in that moment. In speaking the word, the rabbi was assaulting, dismantling all that the Nazis believed, and he was reclaiming the future for God. And I agree with his reading of that story. I think the word was spoken to that odd congregation. The rabbi's homework, all of his prayer and practice hit paydirt that day. And I'm guessing he was thrown off the cliff. God's word is always larger than our word. How could it be otherwise? As a result, we're, we're caught in this paradox of human limitation, straining for the voice that is larger than we often can hear. And yet, we recognize that but for this voice that brought forth all of creation, we would not live and move and have our own being. When the time was right, God whispered our names, and we came into being. Is it any wonder that we would have a predilection to spend the rest of our lives straining to hear that same voice? 
Here's what I think. Our worship, our worship and the importance of our worship is all about listening for the word of God. We say it's about other things, of course, good things, useful and hopeful things, things like uh, values and community and so on. And, and so it is. It is all of those things. But the truly radical dimension of what we do, the audacious and to some people outside these walls, the absurd thing we do is listen for the word, capital W. Without that, we might just as well be any other sort of community organization. We have the audacity to say that God speaks and somebody ought to be listening. And we're honest enough to say, and this is important, that this speaking is both wonderful and terrible. It's wonderful because we recognize in that voice the timbre of life and love that wraps us in hope and peace. Terrible because if we listen hard, we realize that it calls us to shed everything that constricts God's intention, which is so very, very difficult for us to do. So committed we have, so committed we have become to habits and patterns of thought that are no longer useful or helpful if they ever were. Jesus hints at this by saying he came for the poor, the blind, the captives, and the oppressed. Is that you? Is that us? The poor, the blind, the captives, and the oppressed. Do we identify with this cause in the world? We know that the Romans attempted to silence this word 2,000 years ago. They killed it, throwing it over a cliff, as it were, which paradoxically had the effect of amplification, so that this word is now heard the world over. It's quite astonishing. In countless communities today, in hundreds of languages, Scripture is read. Millions of persons recount the wonderment of a God of life who is never defeated by death, who spoke and their lungs were inflated with breath, and who even now continues to speak that they might have life and have it abundantly, and that they too are meant to share in the unfolding of God's glorious project. 